The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to another episode of the Rod and Staff podcast. I'm your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we are back for another episode on this Thanksgiving Day. All right. Uh, seems to be now our annual special Thanksgiving <laughs> episode. Uh, so in, in light of Thanksgiving, i got a softball question for you uh, today. It's, what's your favorite Thanksgiving tradition? Favorite Thanksgiving tradition? I mean, I could say playing football with the guys mm-hmm. that I missed this morning, unfortunately. But I, I think, honestly, just gathering with my uh, my uh, dad's side of the family mm-hmm. at my parents' house every Thanksgiving. Actually, this year, I think some of mom's side is going to come oh. over, too. Yeah. It's great to see cousins and aunts and uncles. And uh, just it's a very fun casual catching up kind of time that we do every year and uh it's a lot of fun i enjoy it how about you nice well i did play the annual football game with the young guys uh so (laughs) all half our age (laughs) all half our age and it's just fun watching them and watching some of them get tired Mm. (laughs) like you're a little too young to be tired already you're losing your breath you want a break already Well, not everyone does the kind of hiking that you do uh, and has the kind of endurance that you have, Roger. It does have some benefits. I can keep up with them and still feel young when I uh, am out on the field. So Nice. Did your team win? We did. In the end, it was a comeback win. Ooh. There was a lot of trash talking this year, I okay. have to say. <laughs> but it was even until the very end uh-huh. and kept going back and forth. And then we had a time limit. Um, and then we got to that time limit and we were tied. So it was like the next score wins. Okay. And a few interceptions here or there. And then in the very end, we came back and a uh, winning touchdown. And Very nice. Yeah. It was now, a good game. Normally, they, they put us on separate teams so that we have to, they think the two old guys can oppose each other. And it's not fair because you're like six foot, <laughs> you know, 12. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I'm not. So I'm glad that I didn't have to endure that this year. Alex was your substitute this year. Oh, he's so. the next closest in age. That's good. <laughs> he is. That's so good. He was on the opposite team, and uh, so it, it was fun. And nice. Yeah. I'll be yeah. back next year, Lord willing. Yeah. We'll see. Well, we're back, and and thought we would talk about uh, some covenant theology again. Again. And again. I know. Roger. You keep doing this to us. Oh boy. But well, this is because of what? Some feedback. So yes. we've asked for feedback. We always appreciate when people interact with us, even if they disagree with us or have different points or want to bring out something we said that maybe wants clarification or maybe more hey, Correction even. Yeah, yeah. correction. It, it happens, especially when we're just speaking freely and we're not scripting it. Mm-hmm. We'll say things that just come out and maybe not realize it till later, you know, how we said something or wasn't yeah. as clear as we meant it to be. But, you know, we did three episodes, three or four episodes um, on this topic, and 
uh, a friend of mine sent me some feedback. Nice. Uh, some feedback along with a few questions. And I thought uh, some of it would be good to interact with. I want to ask you how you would answer. I, I gave him a response uh, just quickly on uh, how I thought through it, but just interacting with it a little bit. So we're Sounds just going to kind of uh, go from there uh, and talk about uh, what he brought up. So the first thing he brought up is we were talking about uh, biblicism with Pat Abendroth on that episode um, and just talking about how there is these different ditches uh, yeah. that we could fall into. And uh, my buddy brought up this is he said that he thought that there could be two ditches that we fall into is on one side, what does this text mean to me standard of interpreting scripture can lead to disastrous results, mm -hmm. left ditch. But there's also a danger to confessionalism and emphasis on groupthink and lack of personal intentional study of God's word. Mm. The right ditch. Are there other potential dangers to confessionalism? So kind of a two-part question there. Mm. Um, and so what do you think when we are talking about interpreting scripture, how we go about approaching scripture? And what do you think of these two ditches on one side? What does this mean to me? On the other side, is confessionalism lead, lead to an emphasis of just groupthink because you're not pursuing personal, intentional study of God's word, maybe relying on man rather than in your own uh, pursuit of scripture? Yeah, I, I guess one of the things that occurs to me as I'm thinking about that question is that I don't know of many folks that would be considered confessional mm. um, that lack that personal intentional study of the word of God, okay. the confession is part of their attempt at understanding the word of God. Mm -hmm. And so these are folks that I, the ones that I've interacted with the most are the ones that are very committed to personal study of the word. Um, and again, like I said, the confession is a tool that is helpful in that personal study mm -hmm. as well. So I, I guess that struck me as a little bit um, odd However, I do think that he's right that there are dangers, mm -hmm. and I think the greatest danger is always putting the confession above Scripture. Okay, yep. So that you, you've got this situation where we could say that we know, because the confession points to the Scripture as being the highest authority, right? These mm -hmm. are secondary authorities. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it could become the primary authority. Yeah. And it could be instead of sola scriptura, it could be sola catechisma or something yeah. like that. And that is a real danger um, that I think people have fallen into. They don't uh, they don't critically deal with the confessions. They just accept the confession, just like some people accept the teaching of some person. Yeah. Right. Hey, that's my favorite teacher. If he said it, it must be true. Sure. So now there is a difference between our favorite teacher and the confession though, mm -hmm. the confession tested by history. It's come out generally, usually from not just one individual, but the, the gathering of the saints and the mm -hmm. churches together. So there it's a little more balanced, but anytime you're going to put the catechism or the confession above scripture, mm -hmm. that's definitely a danger. What do you think of uh, even adding in? So our, our own interpretation of scripture um, it's not our own, but you also have the church's interpretation. What I mean in this sense is most evangelical churches that are not confessional will have statements of faith. Mm -hmm. So the statement of faith, in a sense, 
acts like a confession, correct? I mean, it's a a group of elders in that church or whoever the leaders are who have created a statement of faith. If they're not pointing to a prior statement of faith or a prior confession, Mm -hmm. they basically done the same thing that a confession does in organizing the understanding of Scripture in a simplified manner so that those who come understand what the church believes and they teach out of that so my pushback on groupthink mm. instead of intentional is, well, all churches have a body of doctrine that they are, are relying on Scripture uh, for those who are there to believe, even yeah. though they'll say we're not necessarily preaching through our statement of faith on a Sunday where we're just going expositorily through text. There is still a foundation there. We're not all starting— uh, neutral every time yeah. we come to the scripture and every individual isn't looking at it saying, how might I understand this? Right. And anytime you take any kind of systematic theological concept and kind of give evidence for it from a text that you're preaching through expositorily, mm-hmm. you are affirming some sort of confession. It might be a creed like Nicaea or something like yeah. that, but you're affirming you know, like you said, every time I come to a text, I'm not rethinking the Trinity. I come to the Bible with this knowledge of the triune God. And so I see him you know, throughout yeah. the scriptures, whether it's in Genesis or Revelation, you know, I see him throughout. So I think you're right. We all have a confession. Let's be honest. The question is, is it written? Is it historic? Yeah. Or is it my own made up one? You know, is it just me? Um, Carl Truman's book, um, The Creedal Imperative, I think yes, it's called. that's what it's called. Yep. Really helpful in mm. in articulating that, that we, we do all have a confession. Mm-hmm. Um, and my big concern as I've become more convinced of confessionalism has been, what does the church that I'm pastoring believe? Yeah. Does it believe what I teach or does it hold to the historic Christian faith? If I have pet issues Yep. Does now the church become go that direction? What if I'm, uh, how, how do they judge whether I'm right or wrong on these things? Well, there has to be something above me yeah. and you, you can say scripture, but then someone will say, well, interpret it in which way. Right. So the confessions are really helpful in, in being a, uh, accountability for the pastors. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're, as you're preaching, you may have different applications and different preachers, the, the content shouldn't disagree. So if somebody else mm-hmm. preaches in the church, maybe they apply it in a different way and, and we have that freedom. Sure. But the content should should not contradict from one preacher to the next. That's and right. the confession kind of keeps us in those boundaries. Yeah. Um, I often hear, you know, we, we want to be biblical. I just want to be biblical and go back to what scripture says. That's right. But everybody wants to be <laughs> biblical, right? It, it's yeah. kind of a mute point when if people use it because I think they use a strong man argument. I'm biblical and you're not. I mean, you're yeah. assuming, but they don't say that. But what does that mean? Like there's, you know. And, and I think that we have to be fair to each other. Mm-hmm. Those on the side that are saying, hey, the confessions make me nervous are saying that partly because they are wanting to make sure that we maintain the uniqueness of the Bible as the final authority. And I, mm-hmm. I applaud that. I think that is good and it is right. The Bible is the final authority. There yeah. shouldn't be any question about that. Yeah. And the confessions actually help point to that. Yeah. You know, on the, on the other side, the confessional guys that are looking at the, the guys that they would say are biblicists, let's say <clears throat> their concern is just what we've been discussing. Um, that 
that then everyone um, can just kind of on their own whim, just believe whatever they want and not take into consideration this rich history. And Mm -hmm. now I think there's another risk with confessionalism. Mm -hmm. And here's, here's the the risk. The confessions were all written uh, in a particular context, in a historic context. Um, If we just pick up the confession and don't think about the historical kind of issues that were going on at that time, we're going to miss a lot of what the confession means, and um, we're going to miss a lot of issues today that we need to be addressing. Yeah. So there are issues today that are not addressed in the confessions that I think we can be helped, you know, the confessions can help direct this, point us to certain things, <clears throat> but we do have to rethink every era. We have not rethink. We have to be thinking about application, like you said, and various nuances based on where we're living right now. Yeah. On the other hand, we have to try to understand the confessions in their context and not just take the words yeah, sure. uh, at face value. They, they, they have meaning and they meant something at a particular time. Issues were being addressed at that time. I mean, like at the Reformation period, you know, there was a lot of uh, anti-papal stuff yeah. written. <laughs> There's a good reason for that. Yeah. Uh, but we might be, we might go, man, man, they just didn't like Catholics at the time. Well, no, there, there are important issues there. Does that make sense? So there could be the dangers in confessionalism if you don't understand the the context in which it was written and you're unwilling to then apply scripture to today's issues because it doesn't it's not addressed in the confession. Yeah, yeah, it's not a comprehensive uh, uh, document. Uh, that all all we need, all you know, we need for life and godliness comes from the scripture. You yeah. know, we go back to that for our final authority. We go back to that for clarification, for application to different scenarios. Yep. Um, but Amen. the 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 foundations of what they're teaching are timeless because they are coming from the Word of God to teach us. We don't need to recreate. Uh, something or try to read, you know, we're, we're learning, we're passing it on, but it's a helpful tool to pass on the faith to the next generation in a systematic way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think Paul uses language in, in, uh, in the, how he speaks to Timothy and others, you know, the, um, how things are to be passed on, uh, what, what is to be passed on. It's not just verses. He, he talks about this deposit of faith. And mm-hmm. so we've, we've got to be clear that there was a doctrinal system that a teaching system a redemptive historical system that was being passed on and we want to do the same so let's look at uh, uh, another comment um, uh, that was made that I think uh, you know I'd like to get your thoughts on um, as we think about uh, confessionalism and those who uh, go before us mm-hmm. Um this is what he, he, he made, and he, and he said that he supports historic confessions and creeds, mm-hmm. not advocating, being against confessionalism in general. So we, we, we agree on that. But he says he thinks that church history has taught us that a proper view for faithful living is probably somewhere between, between the two extremes and probably varies from situation to situation. For example, someone who's arrogant in their own thinking would benefit more from the confessions, and someone who lacks zeal to study scripture would probably benefit from being pushed to study a bit more. What do you think of that? So again, I would I would say I think um, so. I appreciate the balance and yeah. the moderation there, and I think that 
that's something he and I would certainly agree on. I think maybe there, there is a question as to, um, whether, you know, how we're defining these extremes, like, are those who are confessional really in that extreme position or are those who are genuinely confessional actually affirming the balance that he's talking about? So I, I think that that's, you know, sometimes, for instance, accusations are always, you know, laid against, you know, Calvin and Calvinism. <clears throat> and when you sit down and read Calvin, you're like, oh, he actually understood those concerns and was very balanced in how he approached it. I think the same is true with confessionalism. The people that I know that are gen- genuinely confessional, those who have matured under that are much more balanced. And they would agree with him that they want people mm-hmm. to pursue the word. Um directed and and kind of guided by the confession but always ending with the word being primary Mm. Uh, so i think i think those guys would agree with with his concerns here Um, balance is definitely key Um, now are there people that are more extreme obviously they're they're, on both sides right every camp have that yeah okay let's shift to a different topic Uh uh-oh so this is uh, when we were talking about dispensational and covenant theology, kind of looking at the differences between both of them, talking about hermeneutics and even interpreting scripture. Because that's where I think it comes down to is a, a lot of this is how do we understand the Bible? How do we interpret the Bible? Mm-hmm. What are the principles of hermeneutics? Yep. And we both have shared that we've come from dispensational schools and we're taught one way to interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the historical, grammatical, literal interpretation, um, that we were taught. And then there's different ways of understanding. So he, he was bringing this up and pushing back a little bit on the way covenant theology's hermeneutics works. Mm -hmm. Uh, so let me just read, read his thoughts. Um, and he said, is there a balanced view that's perhaps more profitable in which we don't read Christ into every text frivolously? seek to understand the texts as they were given in time space first and then seek to connect new testament concepts to better understand the old testament and then he his uh, last comment was i don't think any current view intrinsically encompasses this though all would claim in some respect so this goes back to the question or or the the claim that covenant theology leads to finding Christ in every single text, and and it's it's uh, recklessly. Maybe I'll use that yeah. word recklessly looking for Christ where He's not found. So yeah, look at that first part, and then the understanding of or the question of should we look at it first in time space? Yeah, then make connections. So sure. How would you answer that? So I, it's. It's something that I think uh, he's right to be concerned with. Mm. I think that um, even throughout church history, you find a lot of interesting hermeneutics like allegorizing and finding strange things in places, you know, things that maybe even overall sound like not heresy, but, but you're like that, that's not what the text means. (laughs) Augustine, you know, like (laughs) some of the greatest thinkers of all time. And they're like, they're allegorizing things and um, in, in certain ways, I think missing the point of the text there, but how dare I criticize Augustine? I, I can't, what do they say? I can't hold a candle to him. So I probably shouldn't be criticizing him, <laughs> but I think he was wrong on, okay. on some of those. All right. So I think that this, the, the feedback we're getting here 
is something we would ag- I would agree with. I, I don't think we should read Christ into every uh, nook and cranny of the Old mm-hmm. Testament. Although it's hard to say that he's not in some way on every page. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm teaching through Genesis, yeah. I'm finding it more and more clear to me that that the, the whole of the Word of God <coughs> excuse me, is pointing us to Christ in some way. So there is this redemptive historical uh, understanding of Scripture that I think is is Christocentric, um, or as I think someone used a, another term, was it Christotelic? It's kind of mm. ending in Christ or pointing. Telic. So I, I like that. I think that that's accurate. So I think that yes, we can overdo it and and start finding him in in every yeah. particular scene, but I also feel like we can underdo it and and miss Christ in the Old Testament where he is present. So we got it. I think the caution is good, and we've got to be we got to be balanced. Um, did you want to address that? Though, yeah, before I was I just move thinking to of thinking even of of the hermeneutic because you're seeing you know you're you're mentioning seeing this redemptive historic redemptive yeah. of of scripture. The overall, mm-hmm. what is scripture all about? What is it pointing to? And in seeing you know even from the beginning, Genesis three fifteen, mm-hmm. Savior to come, which is going to be the New Testament. I'm wondering if, if in, in, in the dispensational thought of, of Israel taking a central place in mm. redemptive history, even the Old Testament is primarily about the Israelites Interesting. in that sense. And then you get to the New Testament, you bring Christ, but then you still have this history you're trying to bring alongside, but now you have Christ there. Yeah. And there isn't that overall starting, no, Christ is really the, the, uh, from the beginning to the end— it's all about Christ. It's 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 Christ, not Israel, um, with that primary focus or that primary thought in mind. We all bring presuppositions sure. to Scripture. No one sure. is neutral. Um, so, what is that presupposition driving that? Even that driving that hermeneutic and yeah. how we come to Scripture. So sometimes I think um, there there has to be a both and mm. instead of an either or. Okay. Right. So I think one of the things that is missed by some, and I don't want to say oh, dispensationalist or not, I, sure. I don't know enough to <clears throat> make the claim, but I feel like some people miss Christ because they're focused on Israel as though Israel is somehow distinct from Christ. And what do I mean by that? The way Paul looks at Israel, the way he looks at the law, for instance, that period of law, it, it's pointing to Christ. Mm-hmm. It's leading to Christ. When you look at Isaiah and the servant songs, Christ is, or the servant is Israel, right? There's, yeah. there's this more, more, uh, continuity there, more identifiability. That's not a word probably, but anyway, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there between Christ and Israel, um, than, than we imagine. And so I think seeing how Christ in the new, you know, new Testament, when he, you know, in the gospels, he is fulfilling all righteousness and he, he is taking the role of Israel. He goes out to the wilderness to be tempted. I mean, there's all these things. Yeah. So if you're seeing Israel in the old Testament without the new Testament in view, you're going to miss what Israel really is and what's being pointed to. 
Yeah, and I think that that a lot of the connections are made when it becomes prophetic. So when you look at at the end times, then it's, oh, let's look back at how Christ is going to sit on David's throne. And you look Mm -hmm. back and make those connections because it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, prophecies rather than even looking at it as no— a lot of the fulfillment is even when Christ was on earth, he was fulfilling yep. a lot. So there's a different time period, even I think even looking at the scriptures and making connections that um, there are, it's not that, you know, that you're not seeing Christ there. It's how are you seeing him and what time period is it? The kingdom later on when he, when he comes back to reestablish or has the kingdom of God started now and Christ is reigning. And so there's, there's a lot to yeah, it, Yeah, right? the kingdom questions. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, the Psalms, Jesus takes the Psalms to, his, to himself. Yeah. They, they, they become his. Mm-hmm. And I would say they were about him. Yeah. That, that was the point. Um, same with a lot of the different typological things in the Old Testament that point us to Christ. Do we see those things as having meaning independent of Christ? And that's, I think, where the hermeneutical issue is, that that the sacrificial system, does that have independent meaning outside of Christ? I think the answer is, I, I think the answer yeah. is no. I think it's pointing to Christ, and that's where the real meaning is found, the census plenier, as some would say. I don't know if that language is... So could we, so just thinking that, because he makes a comment, which I think is mm. a valid, you know, comment of, is our hermeneutic supposed to first look time space first and then seek to connect New Testament concepts to better understand? In one sense, you can look at the sacrificial system in that time and space and try to figure it out. But mm. what you're left with is, is, is what next? Like where, where it, it's pointing, like mm-hmm. without the book of really Hebrews, Hebrews opens up what Leviticus is all about. And I think if you read Leviticus without Hebrews, it's very, very confusing. It's like reading the story, um, knowing the end of the story, but trying to read it without that knowledge. And it, it, it enhances and actually makes the understanding make sense then because you're not seeing it as this independent system of, of trying uh, uh, to relate to God, but you see the fuller understanding of of the importance of how it was pointing um, uh, to Christ in the New Testament. So, yeah, I, I was trying to quickly turn. I, I can't quite find it, but I, I'm remembering in the in the Gospel of John and other places yeah. in the New Testament where you end up having a situation where the disciples are being described in the moment with Jesus. And then you get this narrative break in from the, whoever's writing the gospel saying, and they didn't understand that until after the resurrection. Like they didn't understand what Jesus really meant yeah. until after the resurrection. Um, imagine the hermeneutic that is often used says, okay, but now every time you look back at the, the time period where he hadn't yet resurrected, you still have to use that same time space understanding Mm. uh, as though, like you said, we're forgetting what Christ's resurrection did to to transform our understanding of that previous moment. Yeah. So I don't know if that was very confusing, but with the the, the uh, listeners didn't see my hand motions, Roger. So my hand motions were (laughs) healthy. My point is once you have the key, right? 
once you have the, the as if you're looking at a map, you have the legend, you have the key that tells you what these things are. You, how can you, why would you ever try to look at the map without that key any longer? Why, why would that ever be a part of your system? Yeah, there was a, I mean, when I look back at the hermeneutic, it, it, it's understanding the context very narrowly, then going broad. But I think what often happens is you just stay narrow and you don't sure. get broad enough instead of starting with the fuller story and then getting back to truly under, you know, to understanding what that text meant. Yeah. Um, now, if, if what they, what he means by kind of the space time kind of where it's at, if he simply means that, Hey, let's, let's try and grasp what the words mean here. Sure. Like get a sense of what's going on. Um, no, don't allegorize, just look at it, read it, try and understand it's, is it talking about a seed of a woman coming? Is it talking about, what's it talking about? Um, that's sure. Of course you, yeah. you start there, you're reading the words, you're using the, the words liter- literarily, but I'm not going to stop there and think that I have an understanding of the text that stands alone and has actually f- fulfilled the intention of God, the divine author until I see the the new covenant view of it or the new Testament view of it. Yeah, I had a professor who once uh, uh, said, and he was teaching us, he said, when we were trying to understand like Genesis 1 and we were in Genesis 3, he said, Genesis 3 was written after Genesis 1. Don't use that to interpret previous passages. That was kind of the thought process was leave it in its context. Then you can look at other things as if only that context is going to give you the full understanding you need. And I think that's where the disconnect is that that narrow context cannot give you the entire story. It can give you a lot of truth and we have to admit, we know the entire story. So we're thinking about it. Even if we just want to deal with the passage, we know what that seat is. Yep. We, we we're we're thinking of that in our mind, even though we may try to narrowly just say, let's just deal with this. But I think you don't get the fuller connections. Like when we say, or when I talk about that, the storyline finally makes sense. It's mm. connecting all the scripture. There, there's more continuity than discontinuity. Another big yeah. disagreement of, of how all that works and nothing we're going to solve in this short podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the questions that your friend asked are actually really good and healthy questions yep. and important to help us keep the balance. Um, so I, I appreciate them a lot. And, my hope is that people will see that really those who are taking the confessions seriously and understanding the confessions the way they were meant to be understood should be keeping the balance. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we like to label folks. And so there's okay. the, you're a biblicist and oh, you're a confessionalist. <laughs> and you're, and I'm like, all right. Uh, yeah. But what do we mean by the labels? We got to be really careful. Um, but really good, good questions that I think bring some balance. Yeah, that's what I mentioned to him. We, you know, we, when we talked, I said that the the sad reality is that both uh, camps who hold to covenant theology and dispensationalism often divide and can't talk to one another. They talk over each other instead of iron and sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's ad hominem and straw man arguments, yep. and we have to guard ourselves from even doing that ourselves yep. and truly understanding the position before creating a position and trying to try to argue against what's not really believed. Um, and let, let me say this. We need to start all of this pursuit of truth with humility, mm-hmm. understanding the creator-creature distinction, and 
we just have to be really cautious uh, to know that likely one day we're going to enter into glory and mm-hmm. the Lord is going to smile and say, oh, you know how much you missed? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what you got wrong? Um, and that's going to be okay. Yep. Uh, but we've got to pursue him now and with humility and with the brothers in all these camps kind of together to, so that we are being balanced and encouraged. Iron yeah. sharpens iron. It's a good thing. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the truths that I heard someone else saying is that theology is done in community. Amen. And we want to remember that because that's where iron sharpens iron. That's where we correct each other. That's where we encourage each other. That's where we challenge each other to go back to what we see as the sole authority, the Word of God, that we want to base all of our understanding on. Because none of us have it all together, so we need that community yeah. e- to, to not become weird in our yeah. interpretations right I mean, yeah, absolutely you're, you're right there. you're right there some, <laughs> and paul paul did that he went back to the other apostles uh e- even though at some points he sounds like he's saying i don't care i didn't need their affirmation yeah. you know but then he says but i confirm with them and they agreed that my god my gospel is the gospel you know yeah. so paul's doing it we we all need to be doing it and uh it's a it's a good thing again done with humility mm-hmm. um and and with an eye to, to make it make sure we're being doxological it's worship yeah amen well on that note we should wrap up this episode if you uh enjoyed this episode share it with others uh if you have any feedback let us know um any questions you have or topics for future episodes we promise that we won't talk about covenant theology <laughs> on the next episode we're going to get into some other topics and get back to uh looking at some other uh issues of the christian life that we can discuss together but if you have ideas something you want us to answer uh, any questions or you want a topic addressed and you think we might be able to address it we'll we'll do our best so send us an email feedback at rod and and we hope that you'll join us next time If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.